Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content. And we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. So he grew up in New Zealand, where he played for Western Heights High School. He joined the Alberta Golden Bears, where he's leading the Canada West Division in blocks per set. And he's also representing the Golden Bears, who are in first place in their division. So welcome to the show, Billy Johnson. Billy, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. So I have to ask, just because most of our listeners are Canadian, and I have to stereotype a little bit, but watching you play volleyball has been awesome, but I got to know in New Zealand how a rugby coach didn't grab a hold of you and say, like, play rugby, because it seems to be the most popular sport there, right? Yeah, I mean, everyone grows up playing rugby. It's kind of similar to hockey here. Um, so yeah, I played most of my childhood, and then had a bit of a growth spurt, started getting a lot of injuries, and um, my volleyball coach picked me up for my height. and. I kind of had more of a passion for that, so I stuck with it. Nice, yeah. We've had a Jason Lockett on the show. I'm trying to get Kirk Pippen, but like there was a generation there where they were a top beach team. There's there's a few younger teams now doing really well. Uh, men and women on the tour seems indoors growing. Like before you left to pursue university, like what was the volleyball scene there? Like it seems like it, it's growing in popularity and it's getting more competitive at the international level, right? Yeah, I think um, indoor volleyball and beach volleyball two of our bigger sports in New Zealand. I mean, the opportunities for indoor volleyball aren't as vast as they are for beach. But like, yeah, it has been growing every year uh, with pretty big involvement in the high school level and the club level, which is like open age group. But yeah, I mean, it's developing and a lot of people are starting to see opportunities overseas so that they can grow their game and come back to the country. And Yeah, I think it's on the rise for sure. Nice. And when you were younger and you first got into it, like, uh, what really attracted to you? Whether it was your, your friends were all playing, was it like you were a bit of a jumper at a young age and it was like really fun to play like a physical jumping sport like volleyball? Like what kind of got you hooked and one uh, made it something you wanted to pursue? Well, the high school I went to was actually known for our volleyball history. We had um, 10 national titles at the time when I joined. And my whole friend group started playing for you. Um, my high school coach who was the one who uh, got me into it, Eugene Bogan, who basically gave me an opportunity on the team. Um, basketball was actually my main sport for the time, and he kind of kicked me from going to practices and wanted me to be more involved with volleyball. And eventually I just grew a bigger passion for it, and so did all my mates. And yeah, just having like a, a good friend group that we're all really passionate about as well, and then seeing opportunities come over time, kind of um, made me stick with it. And what's the club scene like in your area? Like when you played club volleyball, was it mostly your school teammate, uh, teammates? Were they like one and the same? Or was the, the club more of like a, a regional team with guys from different schools too? So once you, when you're in high school, usually you just compete at like a regional level. Um, so that you're like, I don't know, I think it's the equivalent of provincial teams here. <laughs> and then it's not so after high school that you start to get more involved with club volleyball, um, which is mainly all the older guys and um yeah each region has like different club teams and these club teams that like, dominate each year so 
Um, it's basically for anyone that really wants to continue the sport. And um, there's also teams that are more like uh, recreational and just there to have fun. But then there's teams that really take it serious and, and want to improve and win titles. Nice. And you mentioned that there's a few players like yourself who are kind of like leaving New Zealand to pursue uh, volleyball. So I'm wondering what went into your list to play in Canada? Like was the NCAA ever going to be an option or was it another division in Canada? Like what made you kind of narrow down to the Canada West and then pick Alberta? Yeah, so I started the recruiting process pretty early. I think I was in year 11, which is grade 10 in high school. Um, NCAA was actually my main goal. I didn't know too much about Canada West or new sports in general. Um, <clears throat> so I was talking to a bunch of US schools, and, and um, Terry Dillock actually contacted me when I was in high school. And this was the first I heard of the like, Canadian schools. And um, we started a nice dialogue, got talking. Um, eventually, we stopped talking for a bit. And then Brock contacted me um, in my last year of high school. And that started all over again. And then my year after high school, I started university in New Zealand at the University of Auckland. I was pretty close to a few deals in the States. And then I had a Skype call with and my family, Terry was there too. And straight after that call, we like realized that this was like a really great opportunity. And it was, I think, it was a bit of fit for me and how they they run things, how personable they were, the opportunities in Canada, and also like how similar the country was to New Zealand. So everything just fit for me. And um, I was able to come over. I didn't even have a recruiting trip, so it was kind of a big thing. I had never been to Canada before. I never experienced the cold, but I'm pretty glad that um, it's going well ahead. So you, the first time you stepped on campus, you were already a student. Like there was no like uh, you committed to like the volleyball thing, and, and I'm sure your program. But like what, you arrived on campus, and that was it. You were already going there. Yeah, I'm kind of wingy today. So I hadn't visited my my parents and me before. We all came over on my first year, and, and um, it was actually people of fall, uh, so it was really warm. And you we were like, man, this isn't too bad. So, yeah, they took us up with open arms and took us for a tour of the campus and into a really nice to my family and uh, we got along really well. So, it was a good first impression. And what were your first thoughts on the winter? Because as far as winters go, like there's Canada and then there's like Edmonton. Like they kind of in their own category. And I think like Winnipeg would be too, that it's like it's harsher than what uh, some of the rest of us really get. So, what were your thoughts when it, like that first winter hit? Initially, I really liked it because I hadn't seen snow before. So, when I saw snow for the first time, that was like a pretty crazy experience. Winter itself, I'm not a big fan. I uh, still try to wear shorts as much as I can, like if that's a key. But uh, I think last year, we, my mates took me to go snowboarding and stuff, so I actually got to find something enjoyable about the whole winter experience. And I don't know, that's kind of grown on me. It's kind of hard to do during the, the season, but you know, I think we can make doing we're going to do some sports out in the cold, and it's not too bad at Nice. And how was the adjustment overall just in that first semester? Because uh, being an international student can be tough, but managing that time zone, like how did you find time to connect with your parents and friends and family back home? Because uh, you're, you're, you're pretty far away. So did you have anything like either teammates or coaches help you out get comfortable? Because it, it must have felt like you were a long way from home at some times, right? Yeah. Um, 
with modern day technology, it's pretty easy to stay in touch with family back home, but there are definitely times where I felt pretty lonely and um, I have a good support network yeah, a lot of close friends. Um, the coach is all supportive and if you really talk with them, they're open to it. So it was nice having everyone um, yeah, to look after me in my first year whenever I had, had those feelings, but I started to grow and become accustomed to this whole life that I'm living and I'm really enjoying it so far. Nice. And doing some research for the show, I had saw a video and you had mentioned uh, it, it was nice having a guy like George Hoburn on the team uh, in your first year because that's the guy who went on to go on and play pro. But just having a vet on the team was a little bit comforting. But I'm wondering, what was it like in the practice gym? Like, was were you across the net from him a lot or was he kind of a guy taking you aside just explaining the cemetery and Brock systems and some other things that Alberta does really well? It was a bit of both, honestly. Um, we had like a, a really nice relationship where we could I can look up to him for advice and he'd always be there to support me. But then we could also compete against each other and bring a crazy amount of uh, compete. So he was awesome to have as a, a big role model of mine. And honestly, he's doing great things in the game right now. And it's crazy to see him um, competing at such a high level right now. It's a big inspiration to me. And how was the jump overall for you in terms of not only like going from high school to university, but also... Did you have expectations to start? Did you kind of earn the spot uh, just through the preseason? Like stepping into the lineup right away must have been pretty exciting. But I, I'm wondering when you got off the plane and arrived on campus, was that something you you had already felt like you had earned? Or like what was the talks with Brox before about playing time and how you were going to fit in? Honestly, when I came in, I was really raw. And I knew that I was a step behind everyone because of um, the systems that I've been using. Um, they were nowhere near as advanced and um, basically, to act like a sponge and taking as much information as I could. So I didn't have any expectations of starting. I basically just worked my butt off in the first period of the preseason in the first year. And you know, I was lucky enough to, to get a start, and Brock took a chance on me. And, and um, I had all the older guys to look up to and help me with things. And then we had all the bench guys that are always there for support. And I know that if I'm not performing, that someone's going to come in. And do the right thing and, and uh, the And what kind of helped you close the gap or, or kind of get, learn the system? Like, are you a video guy? Are you a, a guy who likes to do it in practice? Like, do you do you take notes or a journal? Like, how did you get up to speed so quickly? I like to, like, visualize before I, I go into a practice on things that I really want to improve on. And I think asking questions is a big thing because there's so many guys with a wealth of experience. Um, such as Terry, for example. He doesn't say too much in practice, but when he does, everyone's open ears because it's just such valuable information. And then you have all the crazy um, experience from Brock and, and all our assistant coaches that are always offering tips and showing that they really care by offering constructive criticism and, and stuff when needed. But um, having a bunch of teammates that have been in, in this kind of system is really helpful, especially when you have a good relationship with all of them. But yeah, another thing was video. I, I've utilized that a lot more over the last couple of years, just going over and reviewing practices and volleyball sessions. Um, it's been really useful to me to reflect on stuff that's gone right, gone wrong. And yeah, there's just so many useful tools um, available for us. Now, one cool thing that happened in your very first year was uh, coming to Toronto and playing in that Can-Am. And I'm curious... 
did that help kind of confirm for you that, that Canada men's volleyball is as competitive as the NCAA? Because you got to be across the net from, like you would have played uh, uh, UCLA, Ohio State. Like, I'm trying to think who your exact schedule was. Probably like a Long Beach game. Like, was it nice being across from those net and, and seeing how competitive, like, Canada was to those other schools? Yeah, that was pretty crazy, man. I mean, I was kind of starstruck, to be honest, to play against those teams that I've known about all my high school career. And um, to see us compete and actually win the games was a pretty crazy experience for me and, and the boys, knowing that we are at that level. And the other Canadian teams did really well as well. I think Trinity went undefeated. So, yeah, I, I think it, it kind of it speaks for itself and in, in the level that Canada's at. And um, I was really happy it went the way I did. Nice, yeah. And with the, the Canada West thing, one thing we always talk about the players is just the strength of schedule and the way the schedule is designed. Like, uh, I'm catching you on a Sunday and you just came off back-to-back against Calgary and it was interesting to see you guys go down 3-1 and then win 3-1 the next night. So how have you got used to that type of schedule as an athlete where, you know, you're going to go in with a plan, you're going to play a good team, but then 24 hours later you're going to play them again and you got to make those small adjustments or get into a battle about what's going to change. So uh, how do you find playing a good team two, two days in a row? Yeah, initially it was it was a big load to to get used to, but um, you become more accustomed to it, and your time management really needs to be on point. I think the way we do everything kind of optimizes our schedule and our uh, our needs on and off the court. So we we have a lot of downtime that we can focus on school and get stuff done, but then we also have a lot of um, team video sessions and stuff to prepare for the next night. And then, like, a lot goes into the preparations. So, look, like, the week prior, we're focusing on that team and making sure that we're making any adjustments and, and game plan decisions that uh, will become important on the weekend. So, it's a lot of preparation and um, a big commitment, but everyone's on board. And um, as long as you're staying focused and, and working on time management, it's really, that's doable. Nice. And how have you found the changes for this year where they've gone to divisions within the conference? So uh, it, it feels like you're going to play the same teams over and over, like as many as like six times, I think. So how have you found like the, the preparation goes into it, but at a certain point it's just come down to executing the plan. Like I imagine the, the planning becomes a little shorter because there's just less to talk about. Like, you know, Calgary, you know what they want to do. It's it just kind of executing your plan at a certain point, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it takes a a bit of discipline to um, keep performing at that level, especially with the uh, repetitive games, and also avoiding complacency. So we're going to play these teams over and over again. We need to make sure that we're always performing. Of course, we lost our, our game the other night against Calgary. They played really well, and um, really took some adjustments overnight, and we were able to come back with a win, which was huge. So I think. Um, and it, it does get repetitive, but it's also we also view it in perspective that we're really lucky to be playing right now, even if it's the same teams, and we don't really take it for granted at all. No, you don't have to use the the Calgary examples because I'm I'm sure you'll play those guys again. But I am curious when you talk about making adjustments the next day through video and having a meeting, like 
is it something as simple as, oh, we thought this guy was going to hit a lot of cross and he hit a lot of line and you just need to make a small adjustment? Or is there like some new ideas floating around the room about how you're going to make that adjustment and, and apply it to the game? Because uh, I imagine there's no practice time, right? Like you wouldn't want to waste jumps or, or really fatigue yourselves before a game. So it's all theory and talking. But how did those changes come about in that morning meeting? Yes, yeah, so um, a lot of those adjustments are things like blocking angles, but then it's kind of reflecting on things that didn't go well for us. So, for example, on the first night, after service pressure was terrible. Um, we weren't able to apply a lot of pressure from the start, and they basically used it against us. So it was kind of um, emphasizing how important that our service game was, and our morning surf, our morning practice prior to the second game, we put a lot of emphasis on serving pressure and getting used to that court, which was our first time on that court this year um, tonight. But yeah, just focusing on things that didn't go well for us and, and making those little tweaks on our game plan uh, necessary. And I'm curious, uh, how did the COVID pause affect you? And the reason I bring it up is I think uh, Brock did a great job in Alberta. You guys worked within the restrictions of allowing training. But at some point, it must have been pretty restricted towards the middle position. And what I mean by that is sometimes you weren't allowed front row hitting or you weren't allowed like to be close through the net. And it was like a lot of back row stuff or a lot of past set stuff. So uh, I'm curious, uh, did you get more reps and more serve and pass reps? Did you kind of get more touches in different skills? Or how did you deal as a middle not being allowed to do like the front row stuff when the restrictions are really tight? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually live with two Liberos, so we were allowed to train as households. So a lot of my practice actually was in defense. And <laughs> I actually love defense and drills. So I got to improve on that aspect of my game. And yeah, front ball stuff was limited. Attacking is my favorite thing, so that kind of sucked. But we did manage to get some stuff towards the end of the year where it was like split squad or, or full team like distancing. So we, we did get to actually get quite a bit of volleyball in considering the, um, the situation. Um, but yeah, I wasn't complaining, man. I, I love the offensive drills and stuff. Any volleyball is fun to me. And yeah, we really took advantage of it. Nice. And I know he's moved on to Coach Pro, but we had uh, Craig on the show who I know was one of the assistants there at Alberta. And one of the things he was really diving into the details about was like serve speed. So I'm curious when you were at Alberta, was that something you worked with him closely about? Like how fast can we get your float serve? Or if you're spin serving, like what speed is the goal or what spot do we want to hit? Like it seems like he was pretty data driven in that. I was curious before you got to Alberta, did you ever like get the radar gun out or was that something that you developed at Alberta? I had never tested my service before I came to Albert, and Craig was awesome, and he had so much uh, knowledge behind the service line. I actually came to Alberta spin serving, and it was terrible. Like my, my velocity was not where it needed to be, and I think it was our first regular season game in my first year against Kennedy Weston that um, I was spin serving, messing up the back, hitting the, the bleachers, and Brock asked me if I had a... Um, float serve in my baggy trip. So I had to rip up the float serve in the game. I hadn't done one in maybe a year. And I don't know. It was probably terrible at the time, but ever since then I've been floating and working on it, pushing velocity. And I think with the uh, Mikasa as well, it's, it's a really effective tool to have. I was always used to the molten and my spin serve, I don't know, I thought it was all right. But um, yeah, I enjoy floating and pushing velocity with a lot of philosophies that we follow when it comes to serving and yeah I don't know 
that's my thing now. Nice, nice. Now, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble with Coach Brock, but is there any philosophy that you could share uh, with us on the show, whether it's uh, you want to hit like this speed or you want to serve into this gap? Like, What are some things that go through your mind tactically when you're back at the service line? We have like individual philosophies, but we can also have like an overarching philosophy of just like having your best serve and really calibrating to, to reach that serve. Um, we also have like a, a thing where we have like an A or a B serve. Um, sometimes your A serve isn't, isn't ready and you're not calibrated yet, so move into a B serve and then seeing how that works so you can get to that point. But really, it's about being aggressive, and that's what men's volleyball, I think. That's what a big thing of, of, um, is in this sport is that you really need to apply service pressure from the start. Otherwise, the team's just going to roll over you with fast pace and stuff and system. So, yeah, I think it's pretty general, but that's kind of how we approach the service. And how have you uh, sequenced the serve to blocking? And what I mean by that is you're such a gifted blocker. I- I'm curious, is it part of your system that you can kind of encourage guys to go for it on their serve and put pressure on it because it's going to get the setter off the net a little bit? Like for, for you to do so well statistically in blocking, does a little bit of credit go to the guys serving in the rotations where you're at the net and that can get like you in better situations? Oh, 100%, man. So we, that's like a big reason why we try to apply service pressure so we can put ourselves in a good blocking position um, because teams in, in this level when they're insistent it's really hard to read and, and get a nice block up um, especially against bigger tackles like Calgary here. so um, that's a big thing for blocking and I 100% all credit to our, our now, if you wouldn't mind sharing for either coaches listening or younger players, but what is your sequence as a blocker when you're at the net? Like after the serves in, are you identifying like where the pass is? Uh, are you a guy who likes to commit block? Are you kind of staying and reading? Like what are the little things that go into your decision to kind of close some of these blocks? A lot of it is like game planning, um, but then a lot of it comes up to natural feel in the moment. So uh, sometimes game plan works, but then sometimes you just need to have like a natural feel. So whether it's uh, where the pass is coming from, if, um, there's a tendency behind low pass to attack, if the set is uh, really active around the net, if um, like middles are running something unusual that they're going to try and flick it up somewhere else. Um, a lot of it goes into a read, and honestly, a lot of the setters in this league are, are really hard to, to read, so you have to kind of, add all that into your thinking process before you make a decision. But um, sometimes you also we rely on our pin blockers to kind of take that one-on-one. And I and I have, they have complete faith in me to go for a commitment block. And I have complete faith in them to make the right decision when um, the ball wasn't going in the middle. So um, it's a really collaborative thing. And uh, it helps having such a great team behind it. Yeah, you mentioned the strength of setter in the league. I, I am curious because we've had a few of them on the show and they talk about, you know, peeking through the net if they can see a middle leaning or a middle taking a step or, or kind of like making one gap longer or, or smaller. But as a middle, are you aware of your own tendencies or is there certain guys that you want to give almost misinformation to or is it better just to stay still and give them nothing? Like what, what goes into the middle side of this tactical game of, of what these setters are looking for? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, a lot of setters do have great vision through the net and you can see some of them actually peak before they set. Um, so sometimes you want to give something and then take away from it. So for example, if someone's running a shoot, you might want to fake that you're stepping, you're staying standard 
in the, in the middle and kind of step last second. Sometimes setters don't see that stuff and then it kind of helps with your positioning and you get to look at places early, but generally setters are pretty good around that stuff and you kind of need a bit of information and try to mess with them a little bit. Sometimes even throwing in random commit blocks just to keep them guessing. Nice, nice. So what goes into your prep? Like, is it your responsibility to make sure you're watching tape and that's something you're comfortable with? Is this something that you sit down with the coaches? Like, when you talk about identifying tendencies and trying to get comfortable with it, like, what is the actual process? Because I imagine you can go down uh, the rabbit hole in volumetrics and just watch a ton of games in a short amount of time, right? So uh, how do you know that you're still staying focused and not like overdoing it or not getting your homework done because you're watching volumetrics too much or something like that? Yeah, um, volumetrics is a great tool. Um, so a lot of it is watching middle angles and attacks and, and tendencies with the middle attackers themselves. But then a lot of it is watching the setters and uh, just repetitions of, of watching every single set, um, rotational tendencies, tendencies for like where the pass is delivered to them. But then like our coaches go into a really great depth stuff and, and when we're doing our video sessions there's a lot of information that they're giving us and um, it does at the end of the day it does really come down to your natural read because setters can plan to avoid those tendencies when it comes down to crunch time and um, that's when it comes down to like making my minor adjustments throughout the game and our coaches have faith in us to trust our read and, and do what we feel is the right choice and I'm curious with Brock being such a high-level setter when he played, but also doing his masters and focusing on not only volleyball, but the setting position. So when you're watching video with him or in the practice gym, is there ever something he's told you or asked you to look at that you're like, oh, I've actually never thought of it that way, just because he just thinks of the setting position so in such a unique way? Honestly, he's added uh, so much to my um, knowledge of the game. As a middle blocker, yeah, he... He sees things that I, I don't see, and I think absorbing all that information has really helped with my blocking, especially because um, in New Zealand it's a completely different system. We kind of wait, see where the ball's going, and the sets are usually a lot lower, uh, a lot higher, and we have a lot more time to get out there. But when you get to this level, everything's fast paced, and you need to be on top of the game, looking up at the tendency. It, it is great to have a mind like this in, in those situations. Nice. And just to flip it for a second to go to offense, uh, on sharp cuts, me and Garrett have joked a couple times where uh, we can only watch a middle hit to five so many times where we just get bored and it looks routine. But uh, watching some of your highlights before the show, it's nice to see a guy who can blow up the digger, who can pin a ball to the sideline, who can hit it up like the five six seam. Uh, you obviously have the cut back to one. Like, How have you developed your shot spectrum a little bit where it doesn't really look like you have a tendency where you can kind of pull what the other team's going to give you or you can hit into gaps? Like, How are you able to have like a shot chart that looks more like a fan? versus like oh this middle only hits to five yeah in my first year i think it was mainly to five uh, um that was definitely my strong shot and then with coaches like brock they've helped me uh, recognize those tendencies and, and try to evolve those and practice and work on different shots and then having a great setter like max and, and pam Fern, we're able to um make in-game adjustments and see where the blockers are placed and really use that practice and game. So stuff like working on uh, slides that I've been running a lot recently that has only come in the last couple of months um, with a lot of reps with 
myself and the setters. And that's basically come from recognizing tendencies and, and uh, blocking tendencies on the other side. Yeah, with the level of setters you guys have on your team, is it easy to get creative in the practice gym? Because uh, whoever does your social media stuff, they put up some great clips where in preseason, I think Jordan Canham got a one on all, which was probably your your credit if we were to ask him about it. Uh, uh, the other day, I saw one of you hitting uh, back quick against nobody. Like It just seems like you guys attack gaps very violently, very quickly. So is that happening in the practice gym first, or how are these plays getting drawn up? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of it is in the moment. Like, Max is a great mind for the game, and, and that opened that set to Jordan was insane. That end I had the other night, and initially it was going to be a, a 50 through the middle, and then it looked like a last second adjustment. I called an end, and he was able to find a funny set when it was pushed on the net. So I think it takes a lot of it's a lot of credit to the centers who are able to make those little adjustments in such a split second and um, really find uh, the best choice. But yeah, we're in good hands with our cities. Now, is that something you pay attention to as a middle where if you get a one-on-one or even a one-on-all for your team, is that something that you can kind of say like, yeah, I had my role there? Because I think everybody wants the ball. They want to get kills. Like we, we want to have those celebration points. But when you're creating that like ripple effect throughout your team's offense, is that just something you can confirm that even though you're not getting your touches, that you're doing your job? Yeah. And I think um, our middles just because you get a lot of credit for that. You know that if we run out Patterns aggressively, it's going to create opens for our opponents. Um, but yeah, I mean, a point's a point, and usually those um, open net kills are a big energy booster for our team. So I think uh, anything that goes, even if I don't get a touch, it's, it's huge for us. Now, what is the, the process? Like, is Max giving you a call off service receive, and then you have the, the ability to kind of make an audible, or, or is there. Like, when you're making last-second changes, is it based on what you're thinking? Does he tell you what to do? Like, when it's happening so fast, does the onus really come on what gap you want to run? Um, yeah, so the first one, it's the audible, usually. Uh, um, usually, it'll be like a, a 50 with an end audible, or we'll be running like a slide or a shoot, and then I can change based on where the pass goes. But, um, yeah, that's a great thing about our set, is that we can make changes even last-second in there. Okay, so you kind of know what the secondary play should be because I was curious. You guys run it so fast in the back row that, like, there's no way you can just be doing whatever you want. Like, Max has got to be aware where everybody's going. So you kind of have like the primary and then your choice if you do want to change it. Yeah, so we have the primary and then basically we have the the freedom to be audible and and pull for anything else. Now, how difficult does it get? Because I think middles work the hardest and probably get appreciated the least. But in transition, like it's so important, and I think every middle knows they have to go. But what do you do in those situations where you just close the block? Maybe you're off balance, and you have to go like make an approach angle and demand the ball. Like, is there certain sets you'd like to hit in transition that are easier for you to get up? Like, maybe you're closing to the right side and you stay and hit a shoot. Or what are some ways that you found that you're always a hitting option versus just staying down and kind of getting lost in the speed of the rally? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty undersized in the middle position, so I, I need a pretty big approach to be effective. Um, someone like Jacob Dynam, who's uh, six foot eight, he, he's able to just jump vertically and be a, a great option in the middle. So I think um, fast transition off the net is important for me and making sure I'm still available. But even if I'm not getting the ball, I, I know it's important to be aggressive and make their middle blockers um, think that I could be an option for a split second to get out so outsides. But I think like stuff off the net shoot is really effective. Um, 
a lot more time to to get back and, and then you can find different distance if, if the pass isn't the greatest. Um, so that's probably my favorite like transition plan. Now, you mentioned you're trying to work in the step around, which it's not often seen in the men's volleyball, but it can be super effective. I'm curious, uh, have you seen other middles hitting a step in, in Canada West? Or when you're against the net against like a, a Jackson Howe or some other very physical guys, like well, what's going into defending and stopping them? Because I imagine not everybody's just hitting a straight up quick against you, right? Yeah, so it takes a lot of communication. Um, if you see something unusual, then you kind of need to call on and what you aware of um, yeah, but again, Jacob Diamond, I mean, he's, he's done a bunch of them in practice and you know, always open that. It's crazy to um, block the ants, and, and you don't really see it in men's volleyball, but that's something that we're always aware of that could happen. And it's just active communication at the net, honestly, making sure everyone's in the right day. And does the same thing apply when the pipe's coming through? Because you mentioned your service pressure, and I imagine when you get the setter off the net, there's there's less options, which is can be calming. But when they're in system, and it seems like everybody can run the pipe over top right now, and it's happening super fast. So do you just know your responsibility? Are you making like a 50-50 read? Like how are you managing the situation when everything's coming through the middle? Yeah, I think a lot goes into that decision. Sometimes it comes down to set of tendencies and, and who's running the pipe. Um, some teams are a lower percentage um, when it comes to setting pipe. But yeah, I think adding a second jump even, if, if you can put hands up and get a dirty touch on a, on a pipe wall, can be really effective on slowdown. But yeah, it depends if you're like kind of reading on the middle and able to make those adjustments. If you're throwing an extra bat, it's kind of hard and it's a good play from the opposing setter to check that in. But um, yeah, it can be really tricky to defend when it's a fast pipe. Yeah, for sure. This is awesome, man. Just to kind of get back to the team stuff, uh, I'm glad you mentioned you like working on defense and found a way to train through the the COVID pause there. Uh, Now I'm curious, as the season progresses, uh, what's next for you guys? Because I think you're only Alberta right now, but in the playoffs, there's going to be a crossover, right, where you're going to play the other divisions? Yeah. Um, Based on our rankings, I think we play... I, can't, I don't know, actually know which place we play, what the ranking system is, but um, I know eventually we're going to have, I think it's like a seven weekend stretch of, of games, including playoffs, and um, I think it's going to be great to see this season too. Is it a little bit comforting knowing that the preseason your coaches were able to put together that you did get a chance to play? I think you played Trinity and UBC and like you did get a chance to play outside your province. Like obviously a lot's going to change by playoffs, but is that a little comforting knowing that you just haven't played the same like five or six schools the whole year? Yeah, it's awesome to get a good look um, at, at new teams, especially great teams like uh, UBC and Trinity um, being able to be at that level. So yeah, we were really grateful to have a, uh, lengthy preseason um, for certain circumstances. We actually got away in Vancouver over the years and got to play some good ball over in, over in Langley, so that was awesome as well. Yeah, how excited were you when the schedule came out? Because, uh, like I said, you guys had a great thing going. You were still able to train, but uh, I think competition's just a little bit different, right? So when you knew you were going to play games and there was going to be a raft and people across the net, like, was there just a different mood around the guys versus, like, like I said, training can be important, but it's got to be more fun to compete in battle, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, our whole year was taken away from us um, last year, obviously, so everyone was really excited to be able to compete again in, in this whole setting and have fans out and um, the proper setup. So, 
Uh, we're taking it week by week and really enjoying the experience. Now, with the with the goal of you obviously learning and developing and getting your education, but going back to New Zealand, have you had any communication with the national team coaches or or the pathway or the plan, like to even go pro after you're done playing? Like I know you have a couple of years more at Alberta, but uh, with the goal of growing the game back home, have you had any touch points with people, like either coaches or people with the national team? Yeah, so um, I'm actually close with the coach in the New Zealand team. We've had some good conversations about growing the game back home. We have a bunch of guys overseas right now who are kind of doing the same thing. And a lot of the young guys are trying to get overseas as well. But yeah, basically, we have a new volleyball league in New Zealand for the NBL. Um, and that's kind of a huge platform for us. And guys coming back from being overseas get to showcase their talents and kind of bring a, board, bring a bigger audience to the game. And from there, I guess, funding could come eventually and then we'll be able to come up with greater resources and then start competing with those big teams. Nice. Like, when you say grow the game back home, like, do you feel... Uh not pressure, but just expectations that, you know, you need to be on social media or when you do go back home, it is important to maybe go watch some kids practice or just be available for a conversation. Like what, what goes into it with the, the phase of where New Zealand volleyball is in kind of your role? Like, what do you think are some extra things that you've been doing? I think generally just being a good role model for the young guys. I mean, there is any opportunity to showcase um, what we're doing with volleyball and then giving back, like, I don't know, coaching and, and reaching out to younger guys and letting them know that we, we can be a resource for them if they have the same um, desires of going overseas. But Volleyball New Zealand is doing a really big thing, especially with this new NBL thing, um, creating a bigger audience. And I think the biggest thing for us is being able to get some recognition on the overseas level and being able to get some wins against big teams like Australia. I think that'll be a huge thing for us, and um, maybe New Zealand will start paying a bigger focus to, to volleyball and, and what we can do in the sport. Definitely, yeah. I haven't looked much into the NBL. Like, how many teams are, are early on in the league? Like, how big is the league? So last year was our, our first year um, of the NBL. We, we had four teams, uh, um, basically from the four major regions of New Zealand, and um, basically it was a showcase of the best talent um, we have to offer in New Zealand. Um, it was shown on live TV in New Zealand, and I think it went really well with packed crowds, um, uh, lots of involvement from uh, volunteers and stuff. And I think it's going to continue to grow. Like it been a big first year, and it's crazy to see um, the plans that they have in the future. Yeah, that's so great to hear. And hopefully it happens as soon as, uh, with it being a Commonwealth Games year, hopefully it's a, it see a ripple effect as soon as now or by the next Olympic cycle. But it's just kind of exciting what everything you guys got going on there. Well, man, this has been awesome. I, I know, like I said, you just got off a, a weekend, so I don't want to keep you too long because, uh, you know, it's your off day. I'm sure you're back to practice tomorrow. But uh, one thing we've made a tradition on the show is just to tell a funny or unique story because uh, you've played at the highest level, but the, the volleyball community can be pretty odd or unique sometimes. So I was hoping you could share a funny story before we let you go. Yeah, so I have a few I can't really share just for um, description purposes. But I have a little story from when I was playing with the New Zealand team and uh, we went to Fort Lauderdale for high performance champs. One of our teammates, uh, he's a bit of a, a funny guy on the team. We all loved him, but we like to 
make a joke of them before our first game. Uh, a couple of my teammates, not on me, not me at all. I uh, witnessed them doing things to his toothbrush. They stole his toothbrush and decided to do funny things to it. Like I can't really say what it was, but <laughs> anyway, the next day um, we got really sick and uh, going to play the rest of the tournament. Uh, it's kind of the antics that go on with New Zealand volleyball. We uh, like to make a good joke here and there. But, yeah, it's just one of the things that I think I can share that isn't too uh, too well. <laughs> that's brutal. He's on his way to Fort Lauderdale to play in this tournament, and now he's stuck in a hotel room for the whole trip. Like, that's brutal. <laughs> it wasn't me, mate. It was my teammate. <laughs> Well, man, this has been awesome. Like I said, uh, you guys are in first place right now. You're you're doing really well statistically. I think you're also leading in attack efficiency. I think there might be a glitch on the Canada West website where uh, your numbers are definitely up there too. So you're definitely leading in blocks per set. Your team is on a bit of a run. So best of luck with the second semester. We'll see what happens with Nationals with uh, a few of the other leagues uh, being on pause. Hopefully, U Sports can make it happen because it's really excited to see what you guys got going on and hopefully get to see you play for a championship this year. Yeah, man, that's the goal. I mean, everything's going really well right now, and I, uh, I'm pretty optimistic about Nationals going ahead and what our team can do. Um, so, yeah, we're taking it day by day and we're enjoying the experience. But, yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, this was great. Thanks again. All right, cheers, mate. Have a good one.